We are in our uh, second week on this series that we're doing called The Bride and Groom. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's been a fun, in a lot of ways, fun series to get ready for, um, but also in a lot of ways, um, as you prep and as you consider where you are as a husband and wife, um, it's kind of painful, I guess, maybe convicting. So uh, today's going to be as last week was directed primarily towards um, wives, brides, brides-to-be, etc., um, today is going to be directed towards husbands. Um, and, and it's the same kind of rule as it was last week. Last week, as I talked to you brides, um, men, of course, I wanted you to listen in. There were some times where I kind of spoke to you directly, and it'll be the reverse today. As I'm going to speak primarily to men, of course, wives, we want you to listen in. Wives-to-be, we want you to listen in. I'm primarily going to speak to husbands, but of course, I'll speak to you once or twice here and there. Um, probably not as much as I spoke to men last week, but I will speak to you as well this week. So um, anyway, so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump in. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll, we'll get started. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray for myself right now, Lord, as I think about the task at hand and really just how inadequate I am and how uh, in my own power or strength or knowledge, how ill-suited I am for this task. And so I'm, I'm aware just how needful I am of you to come now and remove any fears and doubts about my own life as a husband and as a father and fill me with the spirit and give me um, the words to say whether I do any of these things well or not I pray that you would give me um, by the power of the spirit um, the ability to say them and call all the men here to a deeper walk with Jesus we love you Lord and we pray this in Jesus name amen well, just by uh, one little means of of introduction, and then we'll jump in. <clears throat> One of the things I said last week to the wives, uh, just to bring us all up to the same kind of speed, is uh, one of the best ways that we can do effective evangelism here at Remedy, or really any church, is to have strong marriages. Strong marriages mean that husbands and wives are serving each other, loving each other, etc., and are ready to go out and do mission together. And also, strong marriages mean that husbands and wives understand who they are and who they represent or who they look to for their cues. Husbands look to Jesus, wives look to the church, and as they look to the the church and as they look to Jesus and get their cues and try to live out a life that's patterned after that, then when people look at them and they see how they love one another, they see how they serve one another, then people can have a better understanding of who Jesus is and the church. And when they see a husband and wife living that out, then it puts on display in a more effective fashion the gospel how Jesus interacts with the church. And so when that's happening, evangelism is just more effective. And so the reason why uh, I try to, and Jack and I will try to periodically, as often as we can, preach directly to husbands and wives is because we know that in the end, it's going to cause us as a church to be on mission in a more effective way. So this will not be something that we just kind of do here, and you won't hear about it in another couple years or so. Uh, likely, you'll hear it quite often. As a matter of fact, I know you're going to hear it when we're going through Genesis 1 through 12, when we hit chapter 2 again. So uh, there will be uh, a lot of times that we're going to do this. Now, 
as we were, as we were planning uh, kind of this, this little time period before we finally go back to Matthew, which is actually next week, um, Jack and I decided that after we did our New Year's kind of getting ready, we'd, we're going to do a two-week two uh, little sermon series on husbands and wives. There are a lot of reasons. Um, of course, it's Valentine's Day, and so you're getting your, yourself ready to not get in trouble and buy all the things that you're supposed to buy. And it's Valentine's Day very soon, guys, so in case you forgot, it's like this coming week. Um, but another thing uh, was whenever this happened, this particular instance happened in my life about three months ago, it really, really kind of made me say, I really want to preach on marriage. Here's what happened. Um, and I realized that I might be different than most of y'all. Uh, usually when something convicts me, I, I don't run the other direction. For some reason, maybe I just like pain. I'm not sure. But whenever something convicts me, I tend to run towards it because I know intellectually that that's from God and therefore I'm supposed to. And so I just, I just do it. Anyway, I, I, don't, I, don't know, I know that's generally not the way it happens. Um, but whenever I feel conviction, I actually like it for some reason. Um, so a few months back, I was riding in the, in the car with all my kids uh, and they listened to 91.9. That's not the case in my car because I just, you know, it's 91.9, so I usually just listen to my, to my iPod, but they always listen to 91.9, and they know all the songs, and all these songs come on, and I have no idea what they are. I don't know who these people are, um, but they were listening. One of the songs came on, and they, everyone in the car knew it. They all started singing it, including my wife, and so this was, <clears throat> they, as they were all singing it, and she looks at me and goes, I really like this song. Uh, I started listening to it, and this was the opening verse uh, and maybe you know this song, maybe you don't. I listen to it now myself because it's, it convicts me, and I, for some reason, like that. Um, so this is a song by Sanctus Real called Lead Me. This is the first verse. This is what it says. Um, a man writing, thinking about how his wife probably feels. He says, I look around and see my wonderful life, almost perfect from the outside. In picture frames, I see my beautiful wife, always smiling, but on the inside, I can hear her saying, Lead me with strong hands. Stand up when I can't. Don't leave me hungry for love. Chasing dreams. What about us? Show me that you're willing to fight. That I'm still the love of your life. I know that we call this our home. But I still feel alone. And so, just... um, My journey as being a husband over the last 15 years has been filled with times where Christy has said to me... Uh, especially as we've been starting planning this church, but a lot of times we're in ministry, and now that we have so many children, and she has to be home more with the kids, and it can't be with me quite as much as, the, as she was in the first half of our marriage, I hear her kind of saying to me, and she'll just come right out and say it. Now, she's just bold. She'll say, a lot of times I feel alone. A lot of times I feel alone. And as they're singing the song, um, I just realized that's probably not just something that's the case with just me and my wife. That she, more than likely, all of us are feeling at times where the wife maybe has bold, been bold enough to say it to you, or maybe she hasn't, that she feels alone in whatever endeavor that we're doing, um, whether it's job or ministry, etc. There's a lot of times where she feels like she's just all alone, at it alone. And so because of that, I wanted to preach on marriage again. And preaching about it gives me a public accountability that I know I have. And it just makes me want to uh, feel inspired spiritually then to, to if, if Maybe you're, you've kind of been off as a husband to jumpstart yourself back in where you've been lacking. Maybe you can go to other people and say, okay, what I just heard want, makes me want to, by the power of the Spirit, it's not my own flesh, but the power of the Spirit makes me want to say, yes, I want to do that again. Yes, I want to start pursuing after 
my wife again. First Timothy 3, and I know it's written to elders. It says this at one particular place in verses 3 and 4. It says this. First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, First Timothy chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says, um, a man, I'm sorry, 4 and 5. He must ma- a man must an- manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And you hear that and you might say, well, that's great. Um, perfect. I don't really feel called to be an elder or pastor, so I'm good for it. I don't actually have to do that. And 1 Timothy 3 is actually not just directed towards pastors and elders, I don't think. I think it's directed towards every single man that's a Christian. Whether he's a, ever going to be an elder or not, it doesn't erase the fact that he's also supposed to... Um, pursue the heart of his wife and teach and manage and lead his family and his children and his wife well spiritually. So I want you men to do this with me. I want you to dream forward with me. I want you to look into the future as your family gathers over your casket. I know that's morbid, but it's going to happen. One day we're all going to finally be put into the ground. And I want you to stream forward with me. What do you want as your, as your children and as your wife are kind of looking over the casket? What do you want them to say? As they, they stand there, do you want me to say, you know what, he really taught me a lot about football. He really taught me a lot about how to fill in the blank. Or do you want them to say, this man taught me how to love Jesus. He taught me how to love Christ. He showed me who Christ was and he pursued Christ. Which one do you want? When your wife stands over your casket, when my wife stands over my casket and looks down, I don't want her to just say something like, um, this man loved the church, or this man could really just explain the text, or this man knew how to preach some. I want her instead to say, this man loved me well. He led me well. And if I had it to do all over again, I would marry him again. That's what I want my wife to say. So dream forward with me and just think about it. Isn't that what you want? I know you might not ever be a pastor or elder, but isn't that what you want your wife to say about you? That I would do it all over again. And if you know that that's not where you are right now as a husband, I want you to just think about this. Will you say, Will you resolve in your mind and say, I am going to then go on the journey of seeking to win back the heart of my wife. Whatever that might take, I'm going to go on that journey. And maybe you already have it. And hopefully, if you do, the things that you're going to hear today are going to inspire you to continue to dig in and pursue after. Why did God give us marriage? I I talked about this last week. But of all the ways he could have chosen to help us to learn how to relate to each other, he gave us this gift of marriage. Like, have you ever thought of that? Before the creation, before he created marriage, there was no marriage. And why did he say, I want men and women to relate to one another in this, this experience called marriage? Why did he give it to us? Because he wants us to understand Christ and the church. That is, we understand Christ and the church, um, as we understand how men and women are supposed to relate to each other, and and marriage, then we can understand Christ and the church better. And that if we look at Jesus and we see that he always pursues after his wife, he always uh, forgives her, 
He always goes after her no matter what, no matter what she does to him, whether she serves him well, whether she doesn't serve him well. He has this never-ending pursuit of her. And so as we are called to do that, as we are called to do that for our wife, we pursue after her, we always forgive her, we never stop, then that helps us understand that's what Christ does for me. And I don't even do it perfectly. I don't even come close to doing it perfectly for her. And he always pursues me perfectly. That causes me then to understand how Christ cares about me, loves me, and makes me want to pursue after him even more. So that's why he's given us this this gift called marriage. So as we look today in Ephesians chapter 5, men, we're going to look at three things. Now, these three things are likely not review at all. I mean, I mean, our review. They're, they're likely things that you haven't heard, that you have heard before. I'm getting tongue-tied. You've heard these things before. These are things that you know. These aren't going to be brand new pieces of information. Maybe I'll say them in a way that you haven't thought of, but as you hear these things, even right now, just pray, God, if this is a review for me, if these are things that I've heard before, cause my heart to want to do these things. So I have three things that we're going to look at in just two verses. Just chapters, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verses 25 and 26. I have three sacrificed soak directives for husband and marriage. And I'm saying sacrifice soak because the, the desire to want to do these particular things, your heart is going to have to be soaked in the idea of sacrifice. You, you're going to have to stick your heart down and plunge it deep down and let it marinate on what the idea of sacrifice means if you're going to live these things out. They're sacrifice-soaked directions for husbands. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's the first one. The first direction that you have is that you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, when you hear that, you say, that's impossible. Like, there's no way that I can do that. And I think that we use that as this great excuse, which is, well, I can't do it, so I hope she's going to you know, build up a whole lot of grace and forgiveness for me as I don't do it. And I just think that automatically, if we, if we default that way, we're automatically going to set ourselves up for some kind of half-hearted, devoted life as a husband. Instead, don't think that way. Instead, think, I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. I'm going to pursue that. I, I know you might not reach it, but still you say in your head, I'm still going to go after that. Let, let's, let's at least maybe take one little angle that maybe you've never thought of. How did Christ love the church? How did he love the church? What's one way that he loved the church? Let me read this particular text to you from Romans. Romans chapter 5 says this. This is going to tell us one way that Christ loved the church. It says in chapter 5, verse 6, just listen. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would, die, one would dare to, to even die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So what's one way Christ shows that he loves us? Is that he loves us first. Man, you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means that you are supposed to love her first. No matter what she or how she loves you, reciprocates, or whatever that relationship looks like, 
What you're supposed to do is love her first. He pursued, Jesus pursued us. He initiated the love first. Pastor Eric Mason, he's a pastor up in Philadelphia. He describes um, husbands and leadership this way. He says, leadership is taking the initiative for the benefit of others. So how are you supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church? It means that you're supposed to always take the initiative. I'm always supposed to love first. And for what benefit am I going to do this? I'm always going to do it for the benefit of other people, not myself first. I'm always going to love her first. I'm going to be the one who initiates peace in the home. I'm going to be the one that initiates the Bible study. I'm going to be the one that initiates the prayer. I'm going to be the one that initiates her sanctification. I'm going to be the one that initiates reconciliation in any argument, if, even if she's completely at fault. I'm going to be the one that initiates the process of repentance and forgiveness. I'm going to be the one that initiates every single time. Because Christ loved us first. Therefore, as husbands, we're the ones that are supposed to be the initiators. And it's not begrudging initiating. It's not like, well, I guess I got to lead. Fine. What do you need for me to say? Like, it's never. It's always the heart of Christ, which is, I'm the one that's supposed to love you first. And because of that, I'm going to come. And as I do that, I'm going to be the one that's going to initiate the daily Bible study, the daily prayer, the reconciliation at any kind of disagreement on any kind of level. I'm the one that's going to always be the one that initiates what forgiveness initiates what repentance is going to look like in this family i think that accidentally and i'm assuming that it's accidentally that we might act like sometimes if you love me first if you fill my love cup first if you do the things that i need first then i'll respond in kind and with jesus it's the exact opposite it's while we were still sinners christ died so, no matter what the state of your wife's heart is, you love her like Christ loved the church. You are always the one that loves first. Now, that doesn't mean, wives, you can't love your husbands back, like, real fast. I'm not saying that. Of course it means that. But husbands, this is the calling for us. This is the sacrificed soap direction for us. And I know that's difficult. I know that we have to <clears throat> rely on the Spirit. It's no accident when you look at Ephesians 5.25, husbands, or even wives submit to your husbands, Ephesians 5.22, that if you look back up to Ephesians 5.18, it's no accident that that's there first as it starts talking to us about marriage. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's no accident that he talks about us being filled with the Spirit first before he starts talking to us about, about how to be husbands and wives. We will not ever live as we're supposed to as husbands and wives without being filled with the Spirit. But husbands, you are to act first. What does this mean then? It means you need to know how to love your wife. You just need to know how. You got to get to know her. I think it's a helpful idea. I'm, I'm not saying I believe in everything, and there's got some theological things to it. But I think it's a helpful idea, this book called Five Love Languages by uh, Gary Chapman. <clears throat> the, uh, the idea of there's, there's different ways that we can show love to others, that our, our spouses might feel love, from personal touch to words of affirmation to gifts to acts of service to quality time. If husbands, 
and likely this is the case, if you feel loved by your wife through personal touch and she doesn't, she's not like feeling loved as you, you know, hug her and massage her shoulders all the time. That's not what, that, she's just like, oh, that was nice. Thanks a lot. See you later. And she's just kind of walking. You're like, wait a second. I thought that was good. That's what, that's what does it for me. If you're looking for the love bomb to drop and it's not dropping because you're delivering the same kind of love or the ways of love that that you feel, then it's not going to work. You need to know your wife. Is it words of affirmation? Is it gifts? Like, does your wife just like gifts? Or is it acts of service? Now, again, I know that um, this particular idea has some problems with it. I understand that. But in, in its most basic sense, this is not a bad idea. In its most basic sense. I know that Christ still has to be her all whether she gets these things or not. So I know that there's a higher theological thing to talk about. But for my wife, it's quality time. If I can give her gifts, and she's like, that's nice. I can do the dishes, and she's like, that's nice. But quality time, that's how she feels loved. And that's, that's hard. Quality time where we actually talk, and we actually listen. And, and <clears throat> if I'm honest, I don't like to talk, and I don't like to listen. <laughs> I don't like to do either one. I talk all the time. That's what I do is talk. And listen, I have to listen to people all the time. I don't like to listen to anybody. You know what I mean? It's like, if we're just honest, we're all like that. But quality time is how she feels loved. So if I'm waiting for the love bomb to drop down in the house, it's because I've given my wife quality time. And you just need to know how your wife feels love. <clears throat> Theologically, I understand that she needs to love Christ more than anything. and He needs to be her all. But you're called to be her husband, and you're called to love her as Christ loved the church. Which means... In every single instance, you love her first. You love her in a way that she says to herself, this is very much almost what it feels like to be loved by Jesus. You're not her savior. You're her husband. But you love her first. That's the first one that we see right there in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, whenever I've taught this text before, I've just kind of used Ephesians 5.25 as one main point. That husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But I've actually broken that out into two different things because I see a second thing right there in the second half of verse 25. So the second sacrifice-soaked direction for here for husbands is that we are to give up ourselves. Husbands, you are to give up yourself for her. It says it right there in the text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here it is, and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you need to give up yourself for your bride. What, is, what does that mean, Fudd? What, what are you saying? I'm saying you're going to have to start laying down stuff in your life and giving it up for her sake to lead her well. I mean, the obvious things like the time takers, the big, huge things that take up a lot of your time, that if you didn't do those things, you could spend much more wiser time leading her. Whatever that time taker is. I don't know. We all have different things that we kind of find ourselves like enthralled in, I mean, if it's an iPod game or the Wii or TV or whatever. Like, we all have these time takers. And I'm not saying you can't have a hobby. I'm, I'm certain your wife wants you to have a hobby. But I'm saying, think about those things that are the huge time takers. Which one's more wise, the time taker or loving and leading her? Or another way that you can lay down, your, lay down yourself is your pride. That goes back to the first one. If you're going to love her first, you are going to have to lay down your pride. Because there's a lot of times where I don't want to love her first. I want her to love me first, 
fill my love cup, make everything right with me, then it's time for me to reciprocate. But that's not the calling. The calling is that I have to lay down this big bucket of pride that I walk around with and say, no, you are not going to lead me, pride. I want the Holy Spirit to lead me. And he tells me to love her no matter what, not wait for her to do whatever I need her to do, and then I'll start loving her. So we have to lay down our pride. Just, just as an example, we'll look at uh, th- this uh, text in 1 Peter where we look at the example of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he's talking about uh, looking to the example of Christ. And this is what he says. Um, you can just listen if you want. You can, if you want, you can flip them in 1 Peter 2, looking at verse 21 but, and following. But he's talking to uh, the church about looking at Christ and looking how Christ loves us. And this is what he says. And again, we're looking at it from the perspective of husbands saying, how does Jesus love the church? What does he do for the church? Because that's what I should do. Look at this. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So there we have it. Christ does leave us an example. Now this is written in a way that's broad for every Christian. Christians, you should act like this in everyday life. But we're just looking at it from the perspective of husbands. So wives, as you see this, obviously you can apply this in, every, in your everyday life relationships with your husband, with your children, with your coworkers, with your neighbor, etc. But um, we're looking at it from the perspective of husbands. We're, we're supposed to look to the example of Christ so that we might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. So um, you will never reach this perfectly, but you should give up yourself by pursuing holiness in your own life. He committed no sin. That's one of the ways that you can give up, give up yourself, husbands, that you should desire to live out a life where you are committing no sin. I know you won't reach it perfectly, but you pursue it with everything that you have inside of you. You pursue your own sanctification. Another one right there. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. How are you doing that? Are you doing okay at that? How's your marriage in regard to if she strikes at you, do you strike back? In your marriage, in your conflict especially, communication and conflict, your harshness of words and your tone, if they're harsh and your tone is strong, will eventually crush your wife. They'll eventually crush her. I, I, I know this firsthand. I know that over the last 15 years, praise God, he's actually started opening up my mind. I, I, I know that, um, and I'm just going to be confession, a confession time here. I'm going to be as transparent as I can. I think it's good for you to hear um, that your pastor and your elders are not perfect. Um, but I have this need to be right. I have a temper usually, and sometimes I can speak harshly. And my wife has been telling me now for about 15 years that that's the case. And it's, it's very difficult for me to even see it sometimes. But even just this week, I noticed that she asked me something, and most times I don't hear it. Um, maybe it was modeled to me. I don't know. I'm not making excuses. But even this week, uh, she said something to me, and when I said, answered her back, I could have just answered her normal. It was just a normal conversation. But as I did it, I said it in a way that was a little bit more strong than it should have, than it should have been. It was, it was harsh. And then I caught it at that moment. And at that moment, I said, I have to give up myself, and I have to give up my pride. I could have just let it go, and she would have never said anything because she's just learned to forgive me over 15 years of my, my bad temper, right? She's just let, learned to let, I'll just tell him again, but I don't, I'm not expecting him to notice it and actually ask for forgiveness. But this time I actually noticed it, which is rare, but I did, I noticed it. And in that moment, I could have said, eh, she's not going to say anything, I'm just let it go. Or I can say, I'm supposed to give up myself here and give up my pride, and this is all because of the Holy Spirit. But as I looked at her, uh, 
don't take this as me trying to brag about myself because I just said that I, I'm, a, I'm a horrible person when it comes to temper. So I'm not bragging about myself whatsoever. But when I caught it, I did recognize it. And I said, Christy, I just, I just did it. I just recognized it. I'm sorry. I, I, I asked for forgiveness. And she said, yes. And I have to tell you, that's not easy for a prideful man like me to do that. But I recognize the calling, which is that I'm supposed to give up myself for her. Again, we're only going to be able to do this because of Ephesians 5.18. Because we have to be filled with the Spirit. But as husbands, we are called to give up ourselves. Husband, what is it in your life that you are recognizing right now that I need to give this up for the sake of my wife? I need to give it up. When she, as it says in here, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Listen, this is important. Look at me, men. This is an important sentence. Godly men do not throw punches at their wives. Godly men take punches and they give themselves up. They take punches and they give themselves up. This is not a free pass for you women to just, well, that's good. I'm Rocky Balboa now. Like, that's, that's not the idea. Or Mr. T, because I guess Rocky took the punches. But whatever. Um, or Yvonne Drago. Uh, but, men, the calling for us then is to never throw punches. And I don't mean physically. I hope you know I don't mean physically. I mean verbally. We don't, we don't strike back. We don't revile back. We are to give up ourselves. And if you hear, as I'm saying this right here, what you think in your head is this. Um, I'm not going to be some pushover. I think you've missed everything I've said thus far. I think you've missed everything I've said thus far. Because I don't think that Jesus looked at the Father whenever they were thinking on the cross and said, the cross, Father, is sure going to make me look like a pushover. I don't think he ever said that. We're called to give up ourselves. So what is it that he's calling you to give up? The last place is in Ephesians 5.26. Why would he do this? Look at this. That he would, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26. That he might sanctify her. Now notice, I understand that Jesus is the one that gave his life on the cross so that his church could be sanctified, so that his church could be saved. Husbands, I'm not saying that you can actually give your life physically and die on a cross. You're not her savior, you're her husband. So as we're looking at this particular picture, we understand that this is talking about the gospel. It's talking about the fact that Jesus willingly died on the cross so that the church, his people, all of us who are in Christ, men and women all across the world, can be forgiven for our sin, declared innocent by God, and be a part of his family, and one day be set apart completely as his, as his bride. And if you're not in Christ, you can have that this morning. Right now, you can be a part of the church. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Right now on the spot, you can have that happen. You can be forgiven. You can be in Christ, forever redeemed, right now. Now, I know he's talking about the church, but at the same time, as we're looking at this, we're seeing something that husbands are called to. The reason why he gave himself up for her, the reason why he loved her, is that he might sanctify her. 
So the principle that we as husbands, as we see this, is this. The third sacrifice direction for husbands is that we would seek her holiness. So what I see here is this. Um, Yes, husbands, you are to seek your own personal holiness, just like we talked about. You are to pursue after Christ's likeness. You are to fulfill the directions in Romans 8.13 and in Colossians 3.5 of killing sin and putting sin to death in your own life. Every husband's supposed to do that. And yes, wives, you likewise, who are Christian wives, are also supposed to do the same thing. Fulfill the direction of Romans 8.13, Colossians 3.5, among multiple other texts, to kill, to identify sin in your life, put it to death by the Spirit. But what we also see here, and and I would, I'll, I'll even say, yes, wives, you're supposed to, obviously, when you see sin in your, in your husband's life, to, to come alongside and say, I see this, and men, we're supposed to receive it, um, and not let pride well up and say, that's not right, and here's my excuses why. And like, wives, of course you're supposed to do this, but what I see in this text here directly is a directive to men to seek not only your own holiness, but to literally seek the holiness of your wife. As you think about, and as much as you think about, your own personal sin, you should also be considering and thinking about holiness for your wife. How can I respond? How can she respond? What am I struggling with? What is she struggling with? I am given this this leadership task here as the husband to pursue after our holiness together. I'm supposed to lead this right now. You are supposed to seek her holiness. Husbands, and I know this isn't a verb, you're supposed to gospel her as much as you possibly can. You are supposed to remind her who she is in Christ. Keep her from trying to live out a works-based righteousness. Remind her who she is in Christ, but also because who she is in Christ, remind her what's true of her and give her as much encouragement as she can to pursue after her that holiness. At the end of your life, God is going to come and talk to you, husbands, about how you did this. God is not going to come talk to me about your wife's holiness. God's not going to come talk to Jack, your elders, about your wife's holiness. God's not going to come to your community group leader to talk about your wife's holiness. He's going to talk to me about my wife's holiness, and that's, that's a big task for me. I understand, but he's not going to come to me about your wife's or Jack. He's not going to come to your community group leader about your wife's holiness. He's not going to go to Matt Chandler, whoever your favorite podcast is. He's not going to go to Beth Moore or Nancy Lita Moss, whoever her favorite author is, about your wife's holiness. He's going to talk to you. He's going to talk to you about how you pursued your wife's holiness. So we have to, I mean, it's, it's no doubt in our, my mind, this directive takes a mindset of sacrifice. You can't say it's just enough for me to think about myself. You have to sacrifice yourself, love her as Christ loved the church, and be willing to say, this is a tough task to pursue after mine and her holiness together, but I'm going to sacrifice my life my desires, my wants, to lead her in holiness. This text even gives us the specific object of which Christ wants us to lead her with or seek her holiness with, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. I mean, just a direct, straightforward, easy, like, no-brainer, doesn't take a seminary degree application is read 
the Bible with your wife. Read the Bible with your wife. Don't just read open windows. Don't just read your favorite author's couple's devotional book because they have Bible verses in them. <laughs> read, uh, I'm not saying don't read those. Those are good. We have those. I got one right on my nightstand. Read the Bible with your wife. Read the Bible with your wife. I mean, I don't know that it really matters what. I mean, probably Deuteronomy and Leviticus might not be the, the best, but there's probably a lot of verses that you can read. Um, and even that. But read the Bible with your wife. He wants us to pursue her sanctification, sue her holiness. So let's just stop and ask ourselves this question. And maybe you want to write down the answer to this. This is just between you and God. How are you not following through this with this God-given responsibility, responsibility right now for your wife's sanctification? How are you not? I mean, you could probably make a big list. I could too, right? We can all make a big list. But let's just think about one thing. Let's just think about one and say, this one particular thing here, I want to improve at this. How can you improve? What's the thing that you can do tonight as you're laying down? What's the one thing you can do? Unmarried women, let me, let me say one thing to you um, as I've kind of talked about this. If you're not yet married, I want you to consider something. This means that you should look for someone to marry that wants to seek your holiness. If he's not seeking your holiness right now before you're married, if he's trying to lead you into sin before you're married, um, that is going to be a big, huge flash and light that he probably will not seek your holiness in marriage either. Christ is jealous for you to be holy. He's jealous for you to fight for sanctification every day in your life. And so should your husband or future husband be. That's who you want to marry. So don't settle at all for someone that won't lead you in your holiness. Now, on the flip side, you're never going to find someone perfect. I'm thankful that my wife decided to marry me when I was 23. I mean, I was just really, compared to now at 39, a, a, a bumbling joke of a man, I think, at 23. But she still did it anyway. So, and maybe I'm not that big of a catch anyway. I don't know. I'm just kind of rambling right now. But my point is this. Um, look for the potential of a man that wants to love Christ with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not some man that's going to lead you into rampant sin. Because if he's just leading you in sin right now, he will not lead you in holiness when you're married, likely. I know the, the Lord can do amazing miracles. Um, back over to husbands. So seek her holiness. Seek her holiness. How can you improve in this? How can you improve in praying for her and with her every day? How can you improve in reading the Bible with her and leading her in her, her holiness? How can you make and do things around the house for her? How can you tell her daily the gospel? How can you remind her daily who she is in Christ? How can you love her and the things that you see in her, whether they're um, pursuing Christ or not? How can you love her where she is and push her on into Christ? How can you uh, not compare her to how other women might be doing in the church or other women might be doing in your community group, but instead take her where she is and lift her up and boost her up on who she is in Christ and give her the encouragement she needs to keep pursuing Christ and not feel like she's in competition for your attention with either other people or things in your life? How can you begin to care about her prayer life? Not just your own, 
but her prayer life? How can you begin to care about how her spiritual gifts are being used in the body? She has them. Every one of us has spiritual gifts. Have you ever thought about the fact that she's got gifts and thought, well, I want to use my gifts. I want my wife to use her gifts. How are you thinking about how her holiness and her Bible reading, her everyday Bible reading is going? You are to pursue her holiness. Let your home be a place of grace. Ray Ortland says this all the time, and I just love it. Um, He says, I don't want my home, and as they talk about me, I don't want to be described as Mr. Law. I want to be described as Mr. Grace. That's the gospel centrality of the home. That if she's in sin, I'm going to be Mr. Grace. Of course I'm going to talk to her about it, or vice versa, ladies, if we're in sin, come to us. But we want to have a gospel-centered home. We want to let the environment of the house be filled with grace. We're not, that doesn't mean we're going to um, say sin's okay, but we also want to be gospel-centered. We don't want, uh, we don't want for 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now for the wives of this church to feel like spiritual widows. Meaning, they're married, their husbands are alive, but spiritually, they're widows. It's like they're in it all by themselves. We don't want a church full of spiritual widows. I want to conclude with these couple quotes here, just as a way to hopefully um, get us all, as we hear the text and hear these quotes, to say, yes, I want to continue either to pursue after the heart of my wife and help her fall in love with me again or fall back in love with me again or I want to continue to pursue after my wife and she is um, deeply in love with me. I can feel it and I know it and I want to continue to pursue that. I want you to hear these two quotes. These are both uh, quotes about Jonathan Edwards. I don't know if you know who he is. He lived a couple few hundred years ago and he was just a godly man. I mean, just a godly man. He had 12 children. Uh, He was a pastor and probably the most brilliant theological, and I would even argue philosophical mind ever in American history. But he was also a pastor and a husband and a father. And there was his grown daughter, Esther, wrote in her journal one day about an interaction she had with her father and how he pursued her, his daughter's heart to become more Christ-like. This is what she wrote. And she was just writing it in her journal about her father. And men, as you hear this, I know that you would want this to be said about you as you think about what your children might write about you. She said, Last Eve, I had some free discourse with my father on the great things that concern my best interests. In other words, I got to talk with my dad about what it means to be a Christian woman. I opened up my difficulties to, to him feeling very free. And as he freely advised and directed, the conversation has removed some distressing doubts that discouraged me much in my Christian walk or my Christian warfare. He gave me some excellent directions to be observed in secret. He gave me directions I can do in secret. And he also gave me excellent directions that, that would keep my soul near to God, as well as some things to be observed in a more public way to keep my soul near to God. And then she wrote, what a mercy, what a mercy that I have such a father. That's what I want as my children are standing over my casket to say, what 
a mercy that God would give me this father. He didn't just teach me about playing sports or playing games, but he taught me about how to love Christ. What a mercy that he gave me, this father. And the same idea, this is what Jonathan Edwards' wife wrote, Sarah wrote about him as he had passed. She's writing a letter to her daughter, Lucy. And this is what she says about her husband to her daughter. Oh, my very dear child, what shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Edwards had just passed relatively early. He was still in his 50s. Oh, that we may all kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. Don't miss this right here. Notice how sanctified this woman is. Yes, she did it on her own and did it with the grip of the Spirit, but I also think she also had a godly husband that led her well. Notice how she talks about the sovereignty of God here. Notice how far along she is. The Lord has done it. He has made us adore his goodness that we had him so long. Just notice what... what um, maturity she talks about the sovereignty of god and then she says this but my god lives and god has my heart husbands this is what you want your wives to say oh what a legacy my husband and your father has left us what a legacy these are the kinds of things i want our wives to say about us when we're gone and they look back at how we led them. And they say, if I had it all to do over again, without question, I would marry him again. He led me and he loved me better than anybody ever could have. We're going to go into a time of response now, men. And however the Holy Spirit's leading, I want you to just be obedient to it. Maybe you need to sit and pray. Maybe you need to think. Maybe you just need to read the text again. Maybe you need to lean over to your wife and say, hold me accountable. I'm committing. I want to pursue after this right now. Maybe you just need to stand and you just need to sing and revel in this fact. Listen, fellas, the gospel says that you're forgiven of everything. Even all your shortcomings, all your future shortcomings as a husband, the gospel has already declared over you that you're forgiven of even of those things. Maybe you just need to stand and live and absorb that grace right now and resolve in your mind that I'm going to pursue after being a godly husband with everything inside of me. However he's leading, be obedient. If you want to talk and pray, I'll be in the back. I'd love to have a conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love and mercy. God, thank you for men in this church that I know love Christ. And though all of us would say, likely, that we don't love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know that that's the calling. And I know that most of the men in this church desire that. So, Lord, I pray that you would come now and that you would cause us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I pray that you would come now and cause us to want to live for you. Be with the husbands now as the Holy Spirit is dealing with them as the Holy Spirit is coming now and speaking words of grace, maybe even speaking words of conviction, would you deal kindly with us? Would you help us resolve in our minds and hearts at the end of our lives 
though we might be married, we will not have spiritual widows. Women that feel alone. Cause us, Father, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Cause us to give up ourselves for them. Cause us, God, to seek their holiness. We can't do this on our own, and we need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.